kind of forgot to mention this a little bit earlier, but uh, of course you have your sermon outline that you can write on. On the back, uh, we always try to put the uh, birthdays and anniversaries for this coming month. So it's a great opportunity to think about that person on that day, maybe to say a prayer for them, or maybe text them happy birthday or happy anniversary, just a means of encouraging them. So uh, One I just- One of them's having a special anniversary. Oh yeah? Yeah, 50. <laughs> oh really? Yes. Oh, congratulations. What day is that gonna be on? The 14th. Congratulations, early. That's, a, that's great. So yeah, and others are on there as well, so you'd like to contact them and mention them. And uh, So on your outline, it says Philippians 3, 12 through 14. If you want to turn there, you can begin turning there as we continue on in the book of Philippians. I wanted to read something to start out today. And maybe you have heard of this or maybe you've even seen it before. Has anyone heard of Infinite Tucker? I never heard of him ever before. He is a hurdler. So you may have, you know, watched him on TV at some time, I don't know. But anyway, there's a little story about him. It's about Infinite Tucker's jump to victory. Um, and it says that athletes are known to be super competitive, but Infinite Tucker may be, taken, may be taking it to the next level. Infinite Tucker, Texas A&M's hurdler, won the 400-meter hurdle event recently in a spectacular way with a Superman jump or dive across the finish line to edge out his teammates. As his competitor, Robert Grant and he were neck to neck as they approached the end of their championship race, Tucker leapt to secure the win. Even though the nearly five meter jump left him flat on the ground as he took a plunge in the air before landing over the finish, it paid off brilliantly. His unusual, unusual leap quickly went viral online as many were stunned by it. His ecstatic jump won the race but left Tucker with many bruises However, the athlete said he didn't mind. Once it happened, I was just like, what did I just do? Tucker told Runner's World, adding, it, act, adding, it, adding he acted instinctually. It wasn't anything planned. It was a split second decision. I had a lot of emotions in my head. And so I read that a little bit before our sermon today because we're actually reading uh, today in Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 starting with verses 12 and Paul is comparing his walk with Christ as a race to which we are to press on and to strain forward and so we'll be talking about that a little bit later but remember about that illustration when we get to that point in the sermon so far in the book of Philippians we've talked about Paul's great desire to advance the gospel he wants desperately to advance the gospel and by that he means that he wants it to spread wherever there are people. And Paul, of course, was very instrumental in doing this, leaving his home, leaving the comfort of his uh, place in Israel and leaving home and going to all parts of the known world, then all the way over to Greece, all the way over to Rome eventually, and uh, to all the places in between there spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, the way that we do this and the way that I think that Jesus left instructions for us to do this is by 
making disciples, right? So we tell people about Jesus Christ. They come believers in Jesus Christ. And then when we disciple them to the point at which they also can share Christ and spread the word on and on and on. And so as we disciple people, then we want them to know, understand what we've talked about last week. And that was the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He is worth knowing above all other things. Amen. He really is. He really is. And I hope you enjoy that. When you're in your Bible uh, reading, I think, I hope it's more than just reading words on the page, but you're really thinking about experiencing your relationship with Christ. You might say, well, how can I do that just by reading pages on the book? Well, you can't really do it just by reading pages on a book. You have to put into practice what he says, right? So we put into practice what the Word of God says, and then we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we experience Jesus Christ as we see him being faithful in our life and faithful to what his Word says. And so let's go ahead and read the Scripture for today, and that will give us the right footing for what we're going to be talking about. So uh, if you don't mind standing as we read God's Word, I think we will go back to verse 8 a little bit and pick up some of last week just for context. So I'll start with verse 8 instead of verse 12, but then we'll read to the end of the chapter. Uh, He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, joining in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have set us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. Their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to hear scripture like this today. We thank you for the eloquent words of Paul. And we thank you that you've given us time and place here to look over these scriptures and try to understand them, not rush right through them, but really try to gain what the message is that you want us to hear today. And so I pray that you would give us uh, clarity of understanding of this scripture. Pray that you would give us ears that not only hear words, but are spiritually attuned to what the words are saying so that we might accept these truths in our heart. And we pray also for joy in our Christian life from what we are reading and discovering in the book of Philippians. Father, we thank you so much for um, this time and pray that you would use it. We pray that it is glorifying and honoring to you most of all. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. And uh, thank God for the scripture that we have for us today. And we want to maintain focus, right? We always try to want to maintain focus. At least I do. When I come to a section of scripture like this, I want to know what exactly the message is. And, and of course, each and every verse has kind of a message of its own in there. But usually in a section of scripture like this, there's a point that Paul is trying to make. And sometimes it's not the most obvious point. Obviously, uh, just about everyone in here, I'm sure, has heard the, these scriptures before and heard about Paul's admonition that we press on and that we strain forward in our Christian walk. But I really think there's a little bitty verse in here that really encapsulates what uh, all these other things will help build and support. And that really is verse number 16. I really think that this is a key verse for this section of scripture. And it says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And that is, I believe, is what Paul is trying for us to understand today. And so we need to understand exactly what he's talking about here, since this is a, an important verse, a key verse for us. And so we need to ask some questions about the, the scripture today, about this verse in particular. Uh, it says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And you may see on your notes that I have kind of... Uh, uh, Let's see if it's on there. I've kind of shortened that. Let us hold true to what we have attained or let us hold true to Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. I think those are both the same. And so we ask the question, well, what have we attained? Leading up to this scripture, and I kind of went back into the previous scriptures that we had last week. What are some of the things that we have attained by being in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, the first thing we mentioned is that we have Christ's very own righteousness that has been given to us as a gift, or the theological term is imputed. It has been given to us. It is a, what Martin Luther has called an, an alien righteousness because it doesn't come from within ourselves, right? It's not based upon our performance in the law. It's not based upon our performance of obeying, say, the Ten Commandments because we would surely know that we would fail, right? <laughs> Even keeping the basic Ten Commandments, we have failed at that. And so in order to be forgiven of our sins, in order to be acceptable to God, in order to be in the presence of a holy God, we must have Christ's righteousness. And we do have that as a gift 
of our salvation. When we believe and trust in Christ, then it, God no longer looks at our weakness, our failure to be obedient to the law, to be obedient to the commandments, but he sees the very righteousness of Christ. And so we are forgiven of our sins, amen? That's very good news, we are forgiven of our sins. We do have eternal life. And that starts at the moment that you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, amen? amen. It happens at that very moment. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven but it begins at this very moment. And so eternal life is eternal. We can't lose something that is eternal, so we will always have eternal life. That's one reason why we have the hope of eternal security. So what is there left for us to attain or obtain? Because Paul says, there's some things that I have not already obtained and I am not already perfect. And so there are some things that we need to still attain to or to obtain. And I wrote just down a few of these things. Some of them are from the scripture that we have today and some are from other places in the scripture. But uh, what is left for us to obtain is an ever deepening relationship with Jesus Christ, right? I mean, the relationship that we have with Christ now can and should be deeper and deeper and deeper. And it will continue that way on into eternity. In fact, it will last for an infinity of time because we will always have an opportunity to go deeper and deeper in a relationship with Christ. He himself is infinite. There's no end to his bounties. There's no end to his beauty. And for all eternity, those of us who are Christians will engage in knowing him deeper and deeper and deeper and in a more beautiful way. That's very good news. Amen. For, <laughs> I think that is very good news. There's also left for us to experience the full power of his resurrection. That's one thing that Paul says that he has not fully obtained is the power of his resurrection, but he certainly wants to. He wants to live his life in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is what? It means that we have the Holy Spirit within us, it means that we can live the life that we've been commanded by our Savior to live, one of holiness and righteousness. And you might say, well, I thought I was already righteous. Well, you are righteous. You have the righteousness of Christ. But one of the things that we are to attain to is for that to become evident in our own life, right? It's like it's on the inside of us and it needs to come out so the rest of the world can see that we are not only righteousness because of the gift of Christ, but we are working that out in our own lives. It's very important that people see that, right? That we are genuine, that we truly do hold to the commandments of Jesus Christ, that he is truly real, that he truly can provide power to do that. Otherwise, they just think that we're a fairy tale, right? They will think that we are a fairy tale. Or if we fail in that, and we're not repentant of it, then they will doubt Christianity as well. So whether people accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, in some degree is dependent upon the picture that we give them of Christ. Is he real? Is he really powerful? Can he really change my life for the better? And we should be ready to say yes. Look at my life. Look at my life, how it has changed. 
And if we can't say that, then we need to go back and say, have you truly repented of your sin? Are you truly a saved person? And so we, we need desperately the power of his resurrection. But then also Paul also says that he wants to participate in the sufferings or disciplines that lead him to becoming more like Christ. You see, Paul's not one to preach the prosperity gospel, is he? You know, the prosperity gospel is a gospel, quote, gospel, I'll put in air quotes because it's not a true gospel, but it promises that if you become a Christian, then your life should gradually and maybe almost instantaneously become perfect and you will lack nothing and you will have all the money that you need and more than what you need. You will, in fact, should be living in luxury if you are a Christian. And we just know that that is not true, not only because we have not most of us experienced that, but because the Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says that when you come and you follow Jesus Christ, that there will be suffering and there will be persecution because of following him. And you might say, well, you know, if you preach that, who's, whoever, who's going to ever come to Christ? The ones that Jesus calls, the ones that God the Father calls will come to Christ. Amen. That is the message they need to hear. And that sounds backwards to the rest of the world. We think the gospel should be all about, not we, but some people think that the gospel should be all about the positive points and the abundant Christian life and having everything that you need, being prosperous. And can you imagine taking that to Ukraine and preaching that gospel there? It doesn't work even practically, does it? The truth is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will, fall, you will come under discipline and that is discipline is not without a purpose. It has a very great purpose that God has given to us and that's that we become like Christ and that we eventually attain from the resurrection from the dead. And so this idea of sanctification is something that we need to attain to and something that Paul strenuously says we are to pursue and sanctification is just a fancy word. It's just a big word from the word sanctify, which means to set apart. It's the word that we get the word holy from. Holy means that we are set apart for God's purpose, that we are set apart from a sinful world, and we are set apart to be holy and pure for God. And so we are in our sanctification, we are to be going the way of Christ rather than going the way of the world, right? Basically, that's what that means. So how do we do this? This is where we get to some major points in this presentation. First of all, we hold true to Christ by being mature, having a mature attitude about our sanctification. Let me read something that was from a commentary about this. I may read a couple parts here. Uh, this one commentary says, 
Though Paul was a spiritual giant in the eyes of the Philippian saints, he wanted them to know that he had not yet attained the goal stated in verse 10. And if you look back at verse 10, verse 10 says that he might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. He wanted to become like Christ when Christ gave himself for us. He was still actively pressing on, this is Paul, he was still actively pressing on toward them. He had by no means reached the final stage of his sanctification. Paul's salvation experience had taken place 30 years before he wrote to the Philippians. He had won many spiritual battles in that time. He had grown much in those years, but he candidly confessed that he had not obtained all this, nor was he made perfect. He still had more spiritual heights to climb. This testimony of the apostle reminded the saints at Philippi, and it serves to remind believers today that there must never be a stalemate in their spiritual growth or plateau beyond which they cannot climb. Does that make sense? Yeah, we're never to be at a standstill in the Christian life. We're to ever be pressing on and up for upward in our spiritual sanctification. We should each day, each week, each year see spiritual progress becoming more and more like Christ. And I know this seems like a lot, but I am so thankful that Paul was willing to say, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Even I am not there yet. And so we must do the same. We must recognize that Whatever state of life you are in here, like Paul, we are not perfect and we have not fully obtained Christ-likeness in every way in our life. Can we all admit that, that there's still room for us to grow and become like Christ? We have not yet become like him, and we got into this a little bit in Sunday school, speaking of his love, but we are not as loving as Christ was loving. We have room to grow in learning how to love people. We are not as forgiving as Christ, who on the cross said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they are doing, even as he was being crucified. We are not as righteous outwardly as Christ is righteous. And so this is not a time, I think Paul is saying, for us to lean back and coast. But this is a time which he says, that we are to press on to make this my own. We must press on even when things are difficult. Then it does get difficult, right? Anyone here lived the Christian life and not had difficulty living the Christian life? I didn't think anyone would raise their hand. It is difficult. And it's especially difficult when you make a point to grow in your sanctification because Satan does not want us to grow in our sanctification. He cannot rob us of our salvation but he can rob us of our witness and make us ineffective at bringing people to Christ. And so we must press on. That's the word that he uses, is to press on. And that indicates that even when things are difficult, especially when things are difficult, we must press on. Uh, I used to exercise quite a bit. <laughs> I'm trying to get back into it. But exercise is good in knowing exactly what Paul is talking about because 
there's definitely when you exercise or you go out for a walk or you go out for a run or you do something like that, there's a place at which you want to quit. And you don't want to do it anymore. And there's a need to press on past that point. And once you do press on past that point, there is a sense of joy that you have made it that far. And I believe that's what Paul is asking us to do. He says, forget what lies behind. And for us, that might be our failures. That, that might be our attempts to witness to people and we feel like we failed. And we keep focusing on that rather than straining forward to what lies ahead. That is what he says we are to do. So like the person in the race, we are to strain ahead for that tape, which is the finish line. And of course, the one gentleman actually jumped toward the finish line. He, in other words, at the end of the race is when we give our maximum effort. Does that make sense? And when things are close, that's when we give our maximum effort. And I, I've been thinking about this all week, and I'm thinking, well, if the end of the race is the end of my life, so to speak, then it's at the end of my life when I am to be giving the maximum effort and need to give the maximum push. And I'm not sure that many Christians in America are doing that. I think there's a tendency for us to want to sit back and coast. And we just can't do that and be consistent with what God's word says. And I'm guilty of most of wanting to sit back and coast sometimes and to relax, but we have this mission that God has us, given us to reach others for Christ. And so we must do what he has said that we are to do, and that's to press on. Now, how do we press on in Christ? Trick question. <laughs> we rest in Christ, right? It's not, it's not about necessarily us ginning up within ourselves more effort to do more and more and more things. But it's about resting in Christ, realizing that he has done everything for us and he accomplishes everything that is required for our salvation and for our sanctification as well. And that doesn't mean that we sit back and just do nothing, but it means that we should have a great sense of joy in our life that motivates us to keep on doing the things that God wants us to do. I hope that makes sense. Resting in Christ is so important because without that, working and doing the ministry of, of, that Christ wants us to do is just drudgery. And you wear out, you burn out very quickly. But when there's this sense of joy of resting in Christ, knowing that he has done everything that is required for us, then that joy presses us on for the goal of seeing the one whom has saved us, right? So that's, that's what is the goal of this, is to actually see Jesus Christ. He says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's as though God is calling us upward. He's calling us, come, come, press forward. I want you to come. I want you to see me. I want you to be with me. 
And so are you pressing on? We have to ask our question, ourselves that question. Am I pressing on the way that Paul describes it? Because very soon he's going to say, you need to use me as an example. And so the second point is that we are to hold true to Christ by being watchful. We hold true to Christ by being watchful. And Paul says, one thing you don't want to do is to watch the examples of those who are enemies of the cross. Do not watch those who are enemies of the cross. Do not follow their example. And enemies of the cross could mean a lot of different things. It could be people who just outright oppose the gospel. It could be people like the Judaizers during the time of Paul who were saying that you not only have to believe and trust in Christ, but you must be circumcised and then you will be complete. There are many who are enemies of the cross. He says, do not follow their example. He also says, do not follow those who are driven from the flesh. Literally, he says, their God is their belly. They're following the desires of the flesh, of the body, rather than that of Christ. They glory in what is shameful. Have we ever seen that in our culture? We see it all the time, right? I'm sure we see things that we never thought that we would see in our lifetime. Those who glory in what is shameful should be uh, bring much shame upon them and they are glorying in that. And their minds are set on earthly things. Could be a variety of different things, could be activities, could be entertainment, could be material things that they want. But all of these things, he says, do not watch or follow the example of those who are enemies of the cross, driven by the flesh, glory in what is shameful, or their minds are set on earthly things. Rather, he says, watch me as your example. He says, I press on toward the goal of the upper call of uh, the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, let those of us who are mature think this same way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. And then verse 17, he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to example you have set. So watch the example of Paul. He says this in other places in 1 Corinthians. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ and to watch those who walk according to the gospel and the, gospel and, and the apostles. Shows to me just how important discipleship is. Each generation is dependent upon the example given to them before, right? In, in a large manner, of course, we have God's word, which doesn't change. But there's really an importance placed upon us as to how we live our lives and how that's going to affect the next generation. And I know I'm a little bit tentative about saying, like Paul, watch my example, as maybe you might be, but that's really what we should be able to say. We hold true to Christ, first of all, by having a mature view about sanctification. But then we hold true to Christ also by being watchful, watching out 
for those who are bad examples for us and watching for those who are good examples to us. Also, we are to hold true to Christ as you persevere to the end. Did you know Christians are designed to persevere to the end? That means once you believe and trust in Christ, you will continue to trust and believe in Christ until the end of your life. Does not mean that there might not be periods of time where you're disobedient and where you live in ways that you should not live, but it does mean that as much committed as you are to Christ, he is even more committed to you, right? He is even more, he is even more um, committed to you. And so it says in the scripture here, one of the ways I believe that we do this, persevere to the end, we mentioned this in Sunday school, is to recognize that our uh, citizenship is already in heaven. We have that waiting for us. Amen. That's good news, right? Very good news. We've been studying about heaven on Wednesday nights, and we've got a sense of what that is like, and we want that. And so it helps us to hold on through difficult times and to persevere. I wrote down here just a side note that we should not, uh, we don't really belong here, so don't get too comfortable here because we have something better waiting for us. And it helps us to persevere when we see that we are citizens of heaven. We are waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be prepared for him. Amen. And we hold on to the blessing of our resurrected body. It says that Christ, when he comes, he will transfer form our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we hold true to Christ as you persevere to the end. And finally, just one simple command, stand firm. Chapter four, verse one, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. So forgetting what lies behind, we press on, amen? We press on, we strain forward, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ in Jesus. And so our focus, folks, today is that we are to hold true to what we have obtained. We have obtained a wonderful gift in the person of Jesus Christ. And we are to hold on to that for dear life. We are to hold on by being mature in our idea of sanctification. In other words, sanctification doesn't mean just resting back, but it means fully engaging with God to become more holy and to become like Christ. And you might say, well, that's a danger because people will think, well, they're holier than thou, and we can't worry about that, right? We, we do it in such a way that we're not judgmental to others, but that we hold forth the true representation of what Christ is like. So we hold true to Christ by being mature. We hold true to Christ by being watchful of our walk with Christ. We hold true to Christ as you persevere to the end. And finally, we stand firm in our faith. Let's pray that God might enable us to do this.
Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today and to hear from your words. And it's so clear that you have given us great gifts, but yet there are still things for us to attain to and to obtain. You did not sanctify us completely all at once, but you have given us a life to live in front of others that they might see us grow and become more like Christ, that they too might desire to have what we have. So Father, we pray that you would help us through the Holy Spirit who is dwelling within each of us who believe to empower us to be able to live the Christian life you have called us to live, that others might see first our love for one another and see our love for you, that they too might desire to know Christ. Father, guide and direct us uh, the rest of this service. Be with us as we sing our final song and realize that you are our cornerstone and that we are nothing without you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Right. We'll have our last song. And...